Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for being an awesome, awesome God. I pray, Father, that Your Holy Spirit would continue just to do a work in our lives, Father. It's exciting, Father, every day, the things that You can do. And I pray that You would continue, Father, to mold and to shape this church and to have us to be Your people, Father, that are called by Your name. Father, we love You. We praise You. We give You this time as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been going through the book of Luke, and really one of the things that we're seeing as we're going through the book of Luke is the desire, the desire of of God to see His people with their eyes open. It's been a time of the great awakening, we said, where most of the world slumbers. They're not realizing the things that happen all around them. God is moving. God wants to speak to you. He loves you. He has a plan for you in your lives. And we want to, we strive to, to, to hear what he says and to be obedient to it. The Christian life, by definition, it, it should be active and, and moving and changing. It should be exciting to be a Christian. Unfortunately, there is a world out there that wants to, by desire, in design of itself, wants to be blind. By definition, when you, 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 you close your eyes to the things that are in front of you and you start to live a very mundane, boring life of blindness. People, there are people that want to just get through life. They're in the survival mode. They do what they can to just get by. Got to graduate high school, go to college, get a job, get a house, have a car, and then you die. And it seems like, you know, you just go from one process to another process to another process. And all of a sudden it catches you and you go, what am I doing and where am I going? To the born-again believer, that, that concept of just going through the processes of life is insanity. We want to be alive. We want to be awakened. We want to say, Lord, is there anything more to life? What else is happening? Lord, what are you doing? And I love this. You're seeing a cornerstone parable where you're seeing that God is starting to, and I like this, He's starting to sort things out. I just uh, went and did a wedding in Virginia. I was begging for the moment where I could have said, by the power invested me by the Commonwealth of Virginia, I pronounce you man and wife. I said I wanted to say that, and they go, no, don't say that, Pastor. Sounds like you're from West Virginia. <laughs> they weren't happy with that. But, uh, but we had a great wedding, and uh, I flew out Friday and uh, did the wedding, went to rehearsal, did the wedding on Saturday, and then flew back late last night. And, uh, but in the whole processes of traveling, you had a, I, I flew into LaGuardia Airport, which flies you right into New York City. And uh, you come in and you look at the Statue of Liberty and the Brooklyn Bridge and a few other things. And you can just see the masses and masses of people there. There's, you know, all the things that happen in New York City with all the skyscrapers, the buildings and things. And there's something about being in the air where you look down and you ever have that concept or, or think, you go, how does God deal with all these people? I mean, I really believe that God knows me and understands me. I really believe God is intricately involved in my day-to-day life. And I go, how can God, how can God know me and all the other gazillions of people that are running around in every little direction? And there's something about looking at New York City and just the mass of it. And you have to sometimes think of, you know, you go, God, how do you do this? How do you pull that off, God? You obviously, you got something I don't, because I can't fathom how God can know each and every single one of us. Yet we believe that He does. And He cares. He's concerned about our needs and our wants and our desires. And as you start to look at this parable that's coming up, and it's the simple parable of the sower. I think most of us are familiar with it. But what it is, it's, it's a process of the sower, and it's a process of the sorter. He's sorting out the masses of people and things that are happening. He, and, and God, He does. He, he, he sifts through, He sorts. Just like you think of a male 
bag being sorted and, and there's a different address and different letters and you go, how can I write a letter here? And it goes to wherever I want it, whatever destination in the world. And it goes through a sorting process. And, and God is, is, is trying to uh, look at people and to sort things out. And I love this, this scenario. The backdrop to this parable is in verse 4. It says, And when a great multitude had gathered, they had come to him, it says, from every city. And I like that. The multitude. That's, I don't know, a, a multi, multitude of attitude is the way I look at that word. There's, there's lots of different attitudes of tudes that are out there, varying. And, and if you would, Jesus is there. He's looking at people from every place in every city. He's, he's got this whole collection of people in front of him. And you're going to watch. He's going to start to sort them out. He sorts us out, if you would. And, and I like this. I, I think of the mixed multitude in the Old Testament when the Jews were being brought out of Egypt and uh, it wasn't just the Jews. There was some Egyptians and some other people that said the God of Israel is the right God. And they started to follow as well Moses into the wilderness. And they had the Jews, the children of Israel, and behind them was the mixed multitude. And, and in that context, the word was meaning the mingled people. And it, it, it means, if you would, a collection and sometimes it's translated as the, 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 the rabble that followed them, the, the Egyptian rabble that was out there. Some believe that's where the whining and complaining came from, was from these people, and it, it started to infect the Jews. And so if you would, God has a process as he looks at a mixed multitude, a multitude, and specifically here you're seeing that it's from every city. Lots of cultures, lots of people, lots of things were coming to Jesus. And Jesus is looking out, and what is he going to do? He's going to realize that not all of these are going to make it. Not all of these hear correctly what needs to be said and understood. And it is. It, it, the backdrop is when a great multitude uh, had gathered. They had come to him from every city, and Jesus and by his word, he sorts things out. He spoke by a parable. He's speaking to them. A parable. And I love what parables are. They're a parallel story, if you would, that uh, comes alongside. They're not a fable. They're not a myth. But they're a parable. And sometimes I love parables because it, it, it takes advantage of one of the flaws in you and I that we have. Jesus said it's easy to see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but we can't see the log in our own eye. And a parable comes up and says, let me show you this guy over here. Let me give you an illustration. And everyone can look at that and go, oh, that's stupid to be like that. And then comes the miracle that we would turn around and look at ourselves and say, well, what am I doing? Am I like that? And, and, and we as humans have this tendency to see things. So it's a parallel truth. It gives you an example. And then it has this ability to turn around and loop around right back into your own heart. And then you ask yourself, well, where do I stand in that? If these people, these issues are so dumb or blind or stupid or how can anybody be like this? Well, then where do I stand? And Jesus speaks in parables because he wants us, wants us to understand but he wants to sit down and he's going to speak by his word. He's given us an illustration. He says a sower, and a sower is somebody who goes out and plants seed. Uh, the issue in this is I think of Johnny Appleseed, you know, the guy walking around supposedly upstate New York or wherever it was, and he's got this big old sack of apple seeds behind him, and he just kind of walks around every now and then, reaches into the sack and throws the apple seed out there. He's sowing, he's planting the seed, if you would. Wherever Johnny Appleseed went, he just happened to throw a handful of seed out there, and that's why we have so many apple trees, I guess, or whatever's supposed to be around New York. Is that a Macintosh apple? I don't, I don't know. Maybe they, I don't know. But, uh, you know, that's what a sower is. So he says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, he's out walking around, throwing the seed around. You see the story, it says, some fell by the wayside. And the wayside, and sometimes by the path, by the road. And it says that it was trampled down, 
and the birds of the air devoured it. So they're not going to produce anything. But some fell on rock. And as, as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. So there's times you plant the seed, you throw it out there, and people step on it, and it's not going to grow. Some of it are going to grow, and I'm always amazed at our little parking lot out here. As Pastor Dave happens to be the chief executive uh, parking lot attendant as well. Uh, I'm always amazed at how we have asphalt and things grow out of asphalt. You go, how can that happen, you know? If I was trying to plant grass in my yard, I've got a bare spot. I can't seem for the life of me to get grass to grow on it. But I can grow grass on the asphalt out here. <laughs> and you go, and, and somehow or another, there are seeds that do take root that can grow into a little crack and find some dust that comes together and spring forth. But obviously, it's not going to be something that goes the distance. It, it falls upon the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it as well. Soil might have been good. The thorns, though, also thrive in the soil if it was. And that chokes it out. I think of that vine wrapping around it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, I like this, at this point, he cries out. So contrast with the way this was started is that Jesus spoke. Now, Jesus is crying out. And he wants to make a, a hit home his point. And his point is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus is saying, I'm speaking something to you. But now, almost raising his voice, an explanation, ex exclamation, sorry. He's now saying, this is what it is. There's a lot of people, every one of us have ears, hopefully. But how many people have ears to hear? How many people are actually going to understand what I'm saying? And Jesus is saying, I'm speaking a parable to you. I'm trying to kickstart your brain. I want you to start to understand something. And Jesus, at this point, he's trying to hammer home. He who has ears to hear, try and think about what I just said. It's important. And then I like this, verse 9. His disciples, those of his followers, they asked, they asked him saying, what does the parable mean? There's something deeper going on here, Jesus. Obviously, you don't care about us becoming good farmers in this world. What are you trying to say to us? Now, notice what he said, and it's rather interesting. And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is given in parables. It's a strange statement for Jesus to make. And then it almost sounds even stranger. It says, that seeing they may not see. What do you mean? You're trying to confuse them? And by hearing, they hear, but they may not understand. So I read this and I go, Jesus, what are you trying to do? You're, you're preaching a, a parable, which is more like a scrabble. You're, you're, you're scrambling their brains up. You're teaching, and it almost has the connotation... That, that as Jesus teaches, it, it messes things up for certain people. And I don't know about you, but there are certain people that when the Word of God goes forward, certain people can receive it. They can sit in church and it's like, the light came on. I get it. I understand all things of time, space, and dimension now. The whole universe comes together. I understand life. And there's other people, they can sit in church and hear the exact same message and they walk out. And they're like, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're talking. Preacher's up there babbling along, and boy, is he boring. And, and same sermon, same thing. And certain people, it just seems to turn the light on. And other people, they walk out the door almost more confused than ever before. And it almost sounds like, as Jesus is here teaching, he's giving you the idea that when teaching goes forward, sometimes it's almost as if it's there to confuse more people than what is said and done. How, I, Jesus, do you understand what you're doing? 
And, and so if you would, one of the things that's very important to understand here is that there's a distinction between the disciples and the rest of the people. Now, you can argue and say, well, the disciples were Jesus' people, and he took them aside and he gave them special treatment. I don't see that that's what distinguishes a disciple from the rest of the people. There's something here, and don't miss it, what the disciples are doing that makes them distinct from everyone else. They do the important thing. They ask the question. Certain truths are given in this world. And I am amazed and astounded at how many people really just don't even want to think beyond what's in front of them. They really don't care. Within the formula of life, there has to be a process that normal thinking people, at least in God's economy, would turn around and start to ask some questions. Why am I here? What am I doing with my life? God, if you're up there, then how can this be? We don't have to have all the answers, but within inside of a believer, within inside of a disciple, within inside of certain people, there is a tendency, there should be a desire to turn around and to start to ask, just to ask some questions. What's life all about? And I am. I am amazed at how many people that can go through life and they won't even ask. They won't think. They don't care. And, and, and a Christian should be curious. It should be aggressive. There should be a desire. There should be something to say, I want to know more. Lord, I want to know. And I am a firm believer that if you ask a question, any question, God is going to respond to your question. He's looking and he's saying, there's a lot of dull, dumb people out there he says, does anybody care? And when you can say, Lord, i got a question. I'm convinced God will answer your question. And he, he nurtures, he feeds upon the questions and that stimulates growth. While there's so many people that just don't have a desire. I believe God can give you the mysteries of the universe. I believe that if you ask and you seek, God will answer. If God does that, I believe that God can speak in any level at any place about anything. I'm convinced. I uh, went on a motorcycle ride a year or so ago with uh, my son Timmy on the back, and we went all the way through and started going out to West Virginia, started going out to the podunk roads of nowhere, and just going for whatever was a twisty, windy road and see some countryside. And we're out and... I don't know if I can remember the name of the town, Harris, Harris Mont or something, West Virginia. And all of a sudden, motorcycle sits there and dies at the light. There's no lights, there's no electricity, there's no nothing on this thing. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do here? And so, you know, on, on a motorcycle, all you got is one little cheesy screwdriver, which you could break with your hand, which has got a Phillips on one side and a flathead on the other side and you're like I can't even get the plastic off of my motorcycle to take a look at it and we wheel it down into this uh, auto zone and I said well maybe they could at least let me have a tool and they go well here's a crescent wrench then and a hammer <laughs> and I'm like well I know what to do with a hammer with a stupid motorcycle stupid 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 motorcycle you know and you know I don't you know I'm five hours from home and I, I don't know what I'm doing and and I'm no mechanic by any stretch of the measure, and at least I was smart enough to do the right thing. I got my boy on the back, and I said, Timmy, we need to pray. And so Timmy and I sit down, we hold hands, we said, Lord, you know, help get this motorcycle running. Help, you know, help us to get through this situation. You get back on the bike, you turn the key, and nothing. So I'm sitting there, and I'm just ready to pull your hair out, and up comes this guy. He's going, oh, a nice motorcycle you got there. And I was like, yeah, piece of jump, <laughs> No, it's not. And this guy, he's like, oh, you know, I used to have one identical to that one. Oh, it looks the same and everything the same year. And he's coming out looking at it. And I'm like, well, you know anything about it? Oh, yeah, I've taken the whole thing apart all up and down, backwards and forwards. And I'm like, wow, well, I happen to have a problem. Next thing you know, this guy, 
He's a satellite uh, TV installer. He's got a pickup truck, full range of tools sitting there. He spends an hour and a half going through the whole motorcycle. I mean, some guy just, you know, happens to pull up and sees you. He spends an hour and a half going through the whole motorcycle. He finds this one wire that's loose. And he goes, oh, look, hey, there it is. Puts it all back together. And I go, well, thank you, Lord. I mean, that's a miracle that here I am in the middle of nowheresville and i see a guy who happens to know every single thing about my peculiar kind of motorcycle and he's willing to take the time to put it all back together and you go lord you can do anything you can do anything and there is there is help and assistance in the strangest places i think we covered that last week and it's amazing what god can do and if he can reveal the universe to to, to us the mysteries of god certainly he can help us figure out how to get a motorcycle going Helpfully, he can take care of the strange things that happen in our lives. And we say, Lord, uh, I need you. And sometimes I am amazed that we lack so much because we never even ask. How many times do we look at the motorcycle situation We we just take the hammer out and start hitting? <laughs> How many times do we allow things to get the better of us and we get frustrated and we say, well, I'll figure it out, I'll figure it out, I'll figure it out. And sometimes the best we can say is, Lord, I'm clueless about this situation I am in. I need help. Lord, can you show me? And, And in God's economy, he loves to hear his children ask him for help. He loves. And a disciple is one to say, wait a second, Jesus, you're talking some weird things here. And certain people could walk out and say, oh, I just saw this great prophet. Oh, wow, he was he was telling me to be a farmer. And the disciples were keen enough to say, maybe there's something more to this. He doesn't want me just, what are you saying? And Jesus is saying, well, some people, they're going to listen to what I say, and they come out even more confused. They're in a fog after what I say. And there's other people, they seem to get it. The light comes on. They seem to turn around and to say, wow, I see. And the Lord wants to instill in you and I that sense of the light coming on. We do. We walk into a very dark world. We don't know. It's like a room with all the lights turned off. And we're saying, I don't know what's the, is the boogeyman in front of me? Is there a table in front of me? How do I walk about and where do I go? And sometimes we need that moment, uh, uh, the epiphany to have the light come on and says, oh, I see. And the key is, is to say, are you asking? Are you seeking? And Jesus turns around and he gives a solid answer to this. He does want us to know the truth. He does want us to understand. That is his purpose in speaking a parable so that we can understand the truth. He truly does not want us confused. But verse 11, he says, now the parable is this. He's going to give you the analogy of what it's really about. He says, the seed is the word of God. God's truth is is planted and and it wants to plant down into our hearts and he's going to say in in a simple scenario he says those by the wayside are the ones who hear notice if you would it's a plural form of a singular but what he's doing is jesus is he's going to start the sorting process and he does take the masses and he wants to break it down to the individual and it does play down to the individual and he's saying that there are going to be individual responses to the message he says those by the wayside are the ones who hear and then all of a sudden the devil comes up and takes away by the word of their hearts and uh, and you can see it's almost like some people as jesus you know speaks the word he's up there speaking and there are people that turn around and go i have no idea what he's saying i don't understand And it's almost as if the devil is blinding people from hearing the truth. It is amazing. I can only tell you there are times that I heard the gospel presented in my life and it meant absolutely nothing to me. The devil can blind people's eyes from hearing the truth. And I like this. Well, if it wasn't for that fact, and, you know, Jesus is saying, lest, lest they should believe and be saved. You know, it's like, well, that's what should happen, that people should hear the gospel and be saved. The gospel message is, is a strange message. It turns around and it speaks about Jesus dying on the cross and people being set free. And a lot of times people hear, well, what does a guy 2,000 years ago dying have anything to do with me? 
And, and a lot of Christians, they use cliches and they use terms. And it seems rather vague sometimes on how things come across. And people can't make that connection to what that means to them. There's a very solid connection there. And, and he's saying the devil comes in and is a factor. And it's just like that seed that's thrown there and a bird coming by and grabbing it real quick before it can even start to be planted. He says, but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear, they hear the message, they receive the word with joy. They're all excited. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. We've all seen people come to church. There are a lot of people that come to church. Pastor gives the invitation. If you'd like to be saved, then you can understand the truth of Jesus Christ. And people come forward and they say, Oh, Pastor, that's me. And they cry and they weep and they make a big scene. And there's this, Oh, it's changed my whole life. They turn around and they go through the day-to-day routine of life and the next day, they're like, I don't know what I did. That was was crazy. Hey, let's go out and get drunk. Why not? And it seems like whatever happened in the church service was where it was left. And Jesus is saying, I see these things. I understand certain people, they don't take root. It doesn't grab hold of them. They receive it with joy. They're happy when it's there. But uh, for those who believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard, they go out and are choked with cares and riches, money and pleasures of life. And bring no fruit to maturity. The idea would be that there are some Christians that do have some type of fruit, but it's not ever ripe. They don't ever bring forth anything into maturity. They're full of good ideas. They look real good, but the weeds choke them. They suffer. They're non-productive as Christians. And it's an empty, miserable life to be in that lot, to have the pleasures of this world and certain things of money take you away from your heart to be fully serving God. And then he says, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word, and I like this, with a noble and good heart, they keep it, And they bear fruit with patience. And so, as you would, Jesus is looking, and and this parable is very strong. He's speaking against what we would call fatalism. He is now saying it's not based upon certain things. God's process of sifting people, the seed goes out. And I like this. There's an assumption here in this parable that every seed is a good seed. It's not the problem of the seed for not bearing forth fruit. It's not its thing. We could say we're going to grow petunias, and if we took a pack of petunia seeds and planted them or whatever they are, and they didn't come up, we'd say, oh, it must have been a bad you know, season for petunias. That, something was wrong with a bag of seeds. And in this parable, there's no room for that. There's, there's, not, there's not the problem with the seed. The issue that Jesus clearly wants to, to bring about is that there's a problem with those who hear. Notice what he says here in verse 16. He says, No one, when he has a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed. So if you have a light, common sense would say we put our lights, we don't put a light under every chair. We put a light up on the ceiling so that it sheds and pours forth its light to fill the room. And he's saying when you take a light, when if God was one that was to share the light, he doesn't want to see it covered. It's not God's desire to ever conceal the light. But God wants the light of this world, the truth, to be known to everyone. He says, but he sets it on a lampstand out on the table, you know, there, that those who hear it may see the light. Now, this is important, for nothing is secret that has not been revealed. 
God's desire is that the secrets of the universe would become to be known by you, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. So all things are open for us to learn and to understand. But notice the admonition that comes with it. He says, therefore, you take heed. You watch it. You understand this. You pay attention to this. To what? How you hear. It comes down to how you hear. And then this is the heart of the whole message right here. He says, for whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, what he seems to have will be taken from him. And so you're looking at a process in the kingdom of heaven. The way that the kingdom operates is that there are certain people that seem to get the light and they seem to have a blessed life and it multiplies with inside of them. There are other people that seem to have a little bit of life and God seems to take it away from them. That's a strange principle, people, that you have to understand is one of the fundamental principles of the kingdom of God, that in God's economy, listen to this, there is a desire, there is an understanding of God that loss will incur. God wants everything to be successful, but God understands completely that loss will occur. He seems to understand that. When I was uh, in the Marine Corps... I was in from 80 to 84 during the Reagan era, during the Cold War years, if you would. And uh, I was an a electronic technician. I fixed a little TV set inside of a A6 aircraft. And part of the A6 aircraft's function was that it would go out on an aircraft carrier. Uh, I never went out on an aircraft carrier, but I was always trained to be one of these people that may have to be on an aircraft carrier. And uh, they always told us in school that uh, one of the things that was to happen that when you're on an aircraft carrier, they would say that the life expectancy of an aircraft carrier in a nuclear war, the life expectancy during a full-blown nuclear war was five minutes. You go, well, (laughs) puts me down around ground zero in the event of nuclear war. But... If an aircraft carrier could launch two F-18s, not the plane I was on, but one that was there usually in standby mode at all times on an aircraft carrier. If an aircraft carrier could launch two F-18s in that five-minute you know, process, in that five minutes that it was surviving, then it was successful. And you go, wow. <laughs> and in a certain sense, God's kingdom can almost work the same way. God understands that he's spreading a lot of seed out there. And what he's looking for is two to be successful. Now, with two F-18s fully armed with all the nuclear weapons, those F-18s could blast the whole country off the planet, okay? It can do everything it needs to do. It would be deemed successful if you can get two F-18s up in the sky there. They're invincible. They got their places and they're armed to sit down and destroy whatever needs to be done. And in a certain sense, God is saying the same thing. You give me a believer, one person with their brain turned on, having, as Jesus would even say, a mustard seed of faith. The smallest seed in the garden can therefore be planted and to produce the largest tree in the garden. God understands that uh, 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 one seed planted can change and produce a hundredfold. And in God's economy, he is willing to suffer the loss of the multitudes that are being lost in confusion. That's hard for us to comprehend. We would like to say, God, how can you allow so many? Why do I feel like I understand the truth and so many people are in darkness? So many people are losing their life. God, is there something? And what do we say? Must be something wrong with the seed. This parable is clearly telling it ain't the seed's problem. There are many hearts that want to bury their head, live a life, and just get through life on the bare survival mode. We need to be able to say it's how you hear the word. 
how you, you receive God's Word for what needs to be done. God wants to turn around and to do a new work and to have something great happen in our life. It's His desire, but there are times that things do not seem to happen. And yet God's willing to say it's how you hear. So notice, if you would, He then turns around and makes an application and He says, verse 19, Then His mother and brothers came to Him and could not approach Him because of the crowd. So this seems like almost an afterthought, if you would. And it was told him by some who said, Oh, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and he said to them, This almost sounds cruel. He says, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is saying, And he's giving you the issue here. He's saying, you have to hear. It's how you hear. And it's how you respond with action in your life to do the right thing. Uh, This almost sounds like a slam on Jesus' mother and brothers. The the sacred Virgin Mary is being left out there as the second-class citizen. Hey, Jesus, your mother's outside. She wants to see you. And notice what Jesus is saying. Who cares who my mother is? Who cares what my birth family is? That's the family that the natural eye would think that they got an inside scoop to Jesus. Oh, man, Jesus was your brother? You grew up with him? Different fathers. Jesus had the Holy you know, Spirit you know, conceived. And, you know, same mother, though, you know. And, and you go, wow. And what Jesus is saying is there's no inside scoop. There's no inside circle. Uh, It it comes down to whoever hears and does is my brother, is my mother. And for you and I, we have to be able to say it does matter on how we hear. So think of this analogy. You know, you could look at some people and they look real good. But there's a fine line between what looks like a good Christian, a brother, a kinfolk of Jesus, and never mind the one, though, that actually does in his heart. God knows our hearts, and he can discern the differences of who's receiving it, and he can see how it's being responded to, God's word, and then what kind of fruit it bears. So many people uh, uh, just have this concept that, that God... Is, is something to take for granted. And what Jesus is saying is there's a fine line. There is a, a, a small difference of in our hearts, as God starts to sort through things, what makes the genuine and what makes the phony. Life is full of very small, intricate decisions that we make. Uh, another part of my little trip, I was talking to this gal on the plane, and uh, she was into, uh, you know, that rowing. And... Uh, the regatta, right? And, uh, and as she's into this rowing, she's rowing up and down the Scioto River up here, and she was talking about all the things that she does. And uh, I didn't realize that she was in her 50s, and I guess she went through a divorce a few years earlier, and this really stimulated her to have a life, I guess, to at least find rowing. And she started telling me as she competed, and she was in the big race in Boston on the Charles River, and blah da 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 And... Uh, and, and you start to realize these boats that they're on that are, are there for the rowing thing. Is, is She was on a boat by herself that she owns, and, and she was telling me that this boat is 28 feet long, 28-foot-long boat, and it only weighs, and she said this was one of the older models, it only weighed 32 pounds. You're like, wow, that's a pound a foot for boat. I mean, what is the thing made out of wood? You know, styrofoam? I mean, is it a, you know inflatable thing? You know, that's, that's pretty light. And it's there to skim. And yet, as long as it is, when you have a boat that long, it's amazing. It's amazing how you can t- sit in that boat and it's just a flinch of a muscle and you'll roll the whole thing right over. And there you are, drinking the mighty Scioto, which she says, don't ever swallow that water. <laughs> And she's like, I don't ever want to go over. But it's just a matter of being able to just make one small mistake and that thing flips over. 
And I only want to tell you, that's just like in Christianity. Sometimes life is so finely balanced that we need to take it very seriously and not make careless mistakes with our life because it is so important that we just don't roll right over it and we crash and burn. What that means for you and I is that we pay attention closely to the words of Jesus. We have to have a discerning heart, and it should be within each and every single one of us, a curiosity to say, Lord, what are you telling me? Lord, what do you mean by what's happening? You need to have a curious mind, a critical mind, a mind that is seeking more. And I'm sorry, I'm astounded at the levels of Christian that want to live in a dull, blind, unambitious life with no desire to say, Lord, is there something more for my life? God is telling you, He says, I have a wonderful, magnificent plan for you. If you walk with me, I can take your life and take you places you have never dreamed possible. And we go, Oh, I just want to get through today. I just want my job. Give me a paycheck. And just let me die. And God says, that's not the plan for your life. No, 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 no. One good seed planted bears forth a hundredfold. And a rich, abundant life of being able to produce for the kingdom of God. And we should be able to say, Lord, I want what's there. I want what's in front of us. It's amazing on how so many people, that you know, you can have a guy, he's starving to death, if you would, and you want to say, hey, brother, go over to the restaurant right over here across the street and eat. I'm not hungry. They want to live in denial. I'm not interested in food. Well, you've got to eat. You were designed to eat, brother. Forty days go by, you're going to die. No, no, no. And if you can't get someone to understand, you have to, they have to understand that in order to eat, you've got to go across the street to the restaurant. You've got to go in and sit down. You've got to pay for your meal and you'll be fine. Now, if you need a few bucks to eat, we can help out with that. We'll give you a hamburger today after church. But you go, you go there has to be a, a process in which some people, they really just will sit there in absolute denial and refuse to think that they need food. And then if they need it, they won't take the steps necessary. They won't hear, they won't do the things that are necessary in order to find life. God wants to give you the life. He's trying to tell you that there's a whole steak dinner across the street. But when you sit here in the blindness of life, God scratches his head and he says, I, I don't get it. God sits there and He says, this is my sorting process. I'm throwing the seed out there. The seed, I like this, it almost, it falls. Each, the seed fell, the seed fell, the seed fell. The seed falls on everyone. God is desirous for everyone to see the light. Yet He is also saying some people just don't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand. And God says, I know who's producing fruit. I know where things are at. You can look the part, but if you're not actually experiencing it, you're never going to know it. Same illustration would be that, let's say, we go to, I go to a movie. Have you ever gone to a movie and just been so excited about, oh, I went to this movie, it was so cool, and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I don't have, when I tell you that I go to a movie, and you go, oh, I haven't seen it, I don't want to tell you the whole movie, do I? I want to tell you the movie in parts. I want to say, well, there was a really, you've got to see the movie. There's this really cool part where this guy did this and this and that. And oh, it was so cool. You've got to go see it. And, and we, can, we can say and have an experience in our life of Christ, and we want to share it with people. And sometimes, even if you don't even share the whole story, what has to happen is that person has to go and turn around and go to the theater and then to see it themselves. And no matter how I try to explain to you what I saw and what it did, there's no substitute for turning around and having you see it yourself. You ever have it? You go, oh, did you see that movie? Oh, that was so cool. And this, did you see it? No, I didn't see it. And you can almost say, you don't understand. Don't, you know, let's not talk about that movie anymore. 
But if I came up to you and says, oh, did you see that movie over there? Wasn't it really cool? Oh, yeah, I saw it. And yeah, and then you can sit there and chit-chat all about this and go, wasn't it exciting? Wasn't it fulfilling? And then you go, well, this, he knows. He saw what I saw. And we can both talk about what we saw and we can just go even deeper into it because we understand each other. And so many times is what happens is, is we want to go up and, and, and share with certain people. And, and I can tell you only certain scenes and certain things of the movie. But the truth of the matter is, is you need to get up and go to the movie yourself and experience it yourself or else we'll never have that bond between it. You'll never understand it until you see it yourself. And it's the same thing with Christ. I can sit down and say, oh, man, Jesus changed me. Jesus was just radical. Woo! And you're going to look at me and go, I don't get it, you know? But when you, when you go, you dive into and you experience it. And I go, man, did you know what Jesus did to me? He did this. And you go, oh, yeah, Jesus did this and this and this. And bam, there's a click right there. And the truth of the matter is that I can never fully explain to you all that Christ is and what you got to do is you got to hear his words and then you have to be the one that's going to act upon those words and say, I want to be receiving it and I want to know it myself so that you can experience. Having a walk with Christ is a relationship and you can never have it vicariously. You can never have it through my experiences. You can never have it and say, well, I know, you know. You can have the same thing. Did you see the movie? Oh, no, but my brother told me it was really good. It's not the same. Did you see it? And in a sense, you have to say, hey, do you know Christ? Oh, well, yeah, I, my brother said that he's you know, his Savior, so it must be good. Not the same. When you embrace Christ, it radically comes into your life and you can receive Christ to become new and excited. And Christ comes into your life and he wants to, to grow and to mature. And then we, we have decisions in our life that say, Lord, I, I want to be the right soil. So within this parable is another strange phenomenon, the, the magically changing sifting sand, you can call it. I don't know what it is. Within the parable, it says, can the soil change itself to be the right type of soil? And the connotation is, yes, it can. I can change my life by the decisions I make to say, Lord, I do not want the pleasures of this world. Lord, I do not want to pursue money with my life. Lord, I do not want the things that are there. And yes, an obligation to say, Lord, I want to bind Satan in Jesus' name so that I can understand the truth. Why do we sit back and say, Lord, Satan's just had a heyday with my life and I'm just going to suffer loss? Not the Christian formula. The Christian formula is to turn around and says, man, the devil is just ripping me to pieces here. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, bind this devil. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to understand. Lord, I am suffering. And as we reach out, we can alter the soil of our hearts to say, Lord, make me a right, make me right, make me right, make me to walk fully in what you have. And it all comes down to the same hinging question of people that are willing to ask. That's all you got to do. That's the only contingency on your part is to say, Lord, what does this mean? Lord, you're talking to me and it seems like a foreign language. Lord, I don't understand time, space, and dimension. Lord, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. Lord, what's this mean? And God is saying the sifting process comes down to those who ask the question. And are willing to say, Lord, I'm hungry. What do I do about Oh, walk across the street. Lord, I want to see this myself. I better go over to the theater and pay my ticket price and get in the door. And if you don't ever want to go to the theater, if you don't ever want to pay, the you'll never know. You can always have hearsay. And Jesus is saying, hearsay, secondhand opinion, uh, uh, alternate routes. to It never, never works. You've got to go. And I can only come before you as a church and beg you to say, have ears to hear. You can even be so close to Jesus of his mothers and brothers and still be left out in the cold where Jesus says you have to hear and do. You have to listen and say, Lord, I hear what you're saying. 
I want to get up and do. I want to get involved. I want to do what needs to happen. And God can take your life and so that you can abundantly have uh, uh, the prosperity, use that word very gingerly, of an abundant life of producing fruit for the kingdom of God. You will have a life worth living. I like that. You will be able to say, Lord, I see that I'm bearing forth fruit and I'm tired of the weeds coming into my life. I'm tired of the rocks. I'm tired of being so shallow. Lord, I want. That's all we can ask. That's all the message of the parable. And that's the mainstay staple of Jesus with his parables. He's saying, this is the the granddaddy of them all. He's saying the seed is, is being planted. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with the life that God's given you? Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for being an awesome, awesome God. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be made clear and ripe for Your seed to be planted. Father, forgive us for the things that draw us away from You. The things that wrap themselves around us. The cords of sin that so easily entangle us, Father, so that we're dragged down in defeat. Father, we want to bear forth fruit. I pray that our hearts would be made right, that we would have ears to hear, and that You, Father, would turn around and start the magnificent work of Your grace and Your love and Your power and Your strength and Your revelation to work through us. Father, we need it. We need to have more than life than just survival mode. More than life than just getting by. The drudgery of life. Help us to be awake and to be sharp and to understand. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never received You, that Your Spirit, Father, would be planted into their hearts. It would be a simple prayer of saying, Father, come into my life and to change me. Father, we love You. We praise You. We give You all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.